0: We welcome you back this evening and invite your attention to Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, beginning at verse 13 in chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. In my sermon planning periodically, I schedule a kind of sermon that I call inductive expository. And that simply means we read and study the selected text together without announcing the topic or giving a thesis statement in the beginning. We will together discover what the text says and then what we need to learn and what we need to apply in our thinking, our speaking, our acting, and reacting from day to day. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, 13 through 17 but we ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers beloved by the Lord because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth to this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ so then brothers Stand firm and hold the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work of and word here's a good way to get started with any passage that you want to read and work on and understand ask yourself after you read the passage maybe several times and perhaps from several translations is there a word or a phrase in this paragraph this passage that seems to capture the main idea now you may not pick that up the first time through but you read the passage several times and maybe it will help from other translations and you may change your mind in the course of that but you're looking for a word or a phrase that captures the main idea and then you can use that as your starting point to dig in and find out what else is there around that. Well, when I read this paragraph, what stands out to me is the imperative phrase, stand firm, in verse 15. So then, brothers, stand firm. Now, having that fixed in your mind, look around in the context to see what else is attached to that imperative phrase. What is the context of it? What leads to it? What all is said there about standing firm? And so, uh, Dennis, will you read this? No, not really. I'm just making the point from the display on the slide. Is there some reason given for Paul to say, Brother, stand firm? Is there something here that connects to that? And there is. Please look with me back at verse 9. And back at verse 9, it talks about the coming of the lawless one who by the activity of Satan comes with all power and faults, signs and wonders. Now, here's what we're going to call that. We're going to call that a threat. Paul is writing to Christians in Thessalonica, and he informs them of a threat, something they need to be aware of and alert to that is ahead. Now, here's the context of all that, and you pick this up in the chapter in 2 Thessalonians 2. There were some in Thessalonica who had been told that the Lord's coming was imminent, and that's all they needed to be concerned about. Well, here in chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, Paul is saying, while the Lord's coming is certain, there's something else that's going to happen before that, that I want you to be alert to. And in the earlier verses in chapter 2, Paul describes an apostasy of falling away from the faith. And he speaks of a man of lawlessness who would come on the scene and certainly be defeated by Christ, but damage would be done. The weak would be deceived. Those not fully committed to the truth and therefore vulnerable would be deceived. Those who were straight on rebellious would be subject to a strong delusion. This man of lawlessness would proclaim himself to be God. And those who followed him would be condemned. So Paul describes this falling away in the verses that come before verse 13. Part of what we're doing here in the context is sometimes called proximity. What is close to that word or phrase that helps you understand what that's about? Well, here it is. Paul is saying... You've heard the Lord is coming and that's all you need to be concerned about. Paul says, no, there's something else you need to be concerned about that will be before the Lord comes. And that's the lawless one who by the activity of Satan will come with all power and false signs and wonders. So in view of that threat, what must Christians do? Stand firm. So our choice of the main idea or the key phrase in the paragraph seems to be justified. There is this huge threat ahead, and Paul warns them in advance of this falling away, and that leads to the imperative phrase, stand firm. So at this point, we're ready to take another step into the text. Let's consider... <clears throat> what comes along with this imperative to stand firm? What is it that helps Christians stand firm? What realities cause Christians to stand firm against the activity of Satan in whatever form that activity may take? I want to call attention now within the passage to three things that are attached to to this imperative phrase. Number one is gratitude. The writer says, we give thanks to God for you. Now, this is Paul thanking God for the Christians in Thessalonica. It would help them stand firm against threats. And it helps us stand firm against threats when we know there are people who appreciate us and thank God for us. It gives you a sense of not being alone. When Christians express appreciation for one another, when prayers are offered and encouragement is spoken or written, I think Paul, in modern society, would be the kind of person... Who kept stationary and thank you cards on his desk and he would use them frequently he would write to Christians and say thank you and he would tell Christians we thank God for you and I'm praying for you now it doesn't make all your troubles go away but it helps you bear up under your troubles So Paul didn't just say, all right, stand firm. He gave that imperative or that warning alongside this encouragement. We thank God for you, and that helps. Something else that's a part of standing firm is captured by this very simple phrase, God chose you. Don't forget that. It is not just you're part of a little group trying to survive in Macedonia, in Thessalonica. No, God chose you. God had a master plan. He worked that plan through the ages from before the beginning of the world, according to Ephesians 1. Through the nation of Israel and the prophets and priests and that whole arrangement that God set up, God was working his master plan of redemption. And when you hear and obey the gospel, it can truly be said, God chose you. So what are you going to do now? Stand firm. Because brothers and sisters in Christ are thanking God for you. And beyond that, God chose you. To salvation, through sanctification by the Spirit, and belief in the truth to which he also called you through our gospel with a view to obtaining the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, it's not just stand firm, folks, hold on. Stand firm because there are others in your spiritual family who are thankful for you. And stand firm because God chose you. (coughs) Standing firm is connected to these realities. And that becomes motivation. And there is comfort from Christ. Now may our Lord Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Christ is at the right hand of God. But he is active there. This says, giving his people comfort and hope to establish us in every good work and word. I stand firm and cling to the truth and resolve to not depart from the truth. Knowing this, I am strengthened by Christ through the activity of my faith. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ Christ who strengthens me let me say if you stand firm with new testament teaching and you are strong about that and active in that affirmation that strength is from christ i can do all things through christ who strengthens me now at this point in your study of the text pause and consider what we have we have a threat the activity of satan paul specifies that threat about the man of lawlessness back for the thessalonians back then we have the activity of satan ongoing in our society to bring us down the imperative is stand firm but what goes with that We are encouraged to stand firm when we know Christians are thankful to God for us. God chose us, and Christ strengthens His people. Now, we could go home right here, but you know me. There is an essential part of this we haven't covered yet, and that's next. What do we stand firm in or on we got to get to that verse 15 stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us the apostles either by our spoken word or by our letter now that's our next step into the text But now we need to be really clear what are the traditions. They're well identified in the verse, but let's talk about it. This is not about expediencies and methods and judgments and customs that God has left us to come up with. There are innocent traditions that develop in the course of congregational life and personal life. I'll give you a couple of examples with rare exceptions when i preach and teach we talked about this at lunch today when i preach and teach i wear a coat and tie i dress up that's my tradition holding to that doesn't really have great spiritual value and protect me from sin or plunge me into apostasy, it's a personal thing with me. It's my tradition, not written in the New Testament. It's a judgment that I make. Here's another example. Here at Laurel Heights, we meet on Sunday evenings at 5, and that could be called our tradition. If we met at 4.45 or at 5.10, it wouldn't project us into apostasy or protect us against sin because it is something we've exercised our judgment about. It becomes our tradition in the sense of something God has left us to decide and to generate. The traditions referred to in 2 Thessalonians 2.15 are from God. The teachings handed down from God through the Apostles. The traditions that keep us from sin and in fellowship with God written in this book. They are called traditions because they are intended to be transmitted from generation to generation. They're not in the same category. As a preacher deciding to wear a suit or coat and tie every time he gets up, they're not in that category. They're not in the category of when we decide to meet. These are teachings handed down from God through the inspired apostles written in the New Testament and they're called traditions because they are intended to be transmitted from generation to generation. Whatever threats of apostasy and lawlessness and worldliness face God's people in whatever age, our defense is always to stand firm in the traditions, holding to what we've been taught from God that's been revealed in this book. It was not enough for Paul to just say to the Christians in Thessalonica, Okay, folks, stand firm. He put that in the framework of a context. He associated standing firm with gratitude, the promises of the gospel, and the comfort and strength from Christ for his people. And then he made it clear what they were to stand firm in. The instructions given through the apostles. Now remember the context. The insidious influence of lawlessness that was at work back then in Thessalonica, the province of Macedonia, the Roman Empire, the activity of Satan intended by Satan to undermine the cause of Christ, steal disciples away, and insert corruption into local churches. Paul says, don't leave the teachings we gave you from God. Stand firm in the traditions why there's some reasons given we are grateful for your faithfulness paul said to them remember that god chose you through the gospel paul said to them and remember that christ strengthens his people so then stand firm in the instruction you have through us from God. Listen again, and then I'll have some final comments. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this, he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself... And God, our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Let's talk about the Bible. The Bible is not just obligation, imperative, prohibitions, and warnings one after the other. The Bible is all of that. But there's context. There is the highest kind of motivation attached to all of that. Realities that enable us to remain faithful to all of that. Things that we need to be mindful of about our obligations and the imperatives of Scripture, the prohibitions and the warnings. We do our duty. We give heed to the warnings. We stand firm knowing these things. Faithful Christians are thankful to God for us. God chose us. Christ strengthens his people to be engaged firmly with the teaching Given. These are reasons. These are motives to stand firm in the traditions handed down to us from heaven, written in Scripture. That's why we do what we do here preaching and teaching from the text of Scripture. Nothing else will do. No substitute. No supplements added by men. Just the Word of God. Whatever threats, We may face now, whatever temptations, whatever storms or persecution, we can stand firm for these reasons with the hope of a perfect eternal outcome. Take that with you into your week. Let's be standing as we sing.